when you get served, if anything about the way you approach that ball mentally or some part of your technique changes because of how you're served, that you're at a disadvantage, you mm-hmm. know, that you don't quite cue in. Or when people get a free ball in the middle of a crazy rally and they go, ah, and they like exhale and they kind of almost melt into the pass, that is a change in your best technique. So today, guys, this is the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast where we talk about everything that has to do with becoming a better player, coach, student of the game of beach volleyball. And today's topic is going to be about skyballs. Everything skyballs. Is it a gimmick? Is it a weapon? How to pass it? How to serve it? And, uh, we look forward to talking about this. This is usually a fun and sometimes controversial discussion. Uh, as an introduction, my name is Mark Burke. I've played on the AVP now for, hmm, I don't know, 10-ish years. I've got to play some FIVB, and I've been coaching since I was 13 years old, which some of you might uh, scoff at. It's kind of crazy. And my life is dedicated to creating this company and uh, teaching people, teaching adults, young people, as well as coaches, how to get better at this game and enjoy it at a higher level. We love the sport, and this is what we do. Brandon, my co-host, go ahead, introduce yourself. Howdy. Uh, My name is Brandon Joyner. I am a beach volleyball enthusiast. I've been playing beach volleyball professionally for about, I want to say, seven years now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Played on the NVL for a long time, now switched over to AVP, still trying to break the barriers in that very, very competitive qualifier main draw field that we have. But um, looking forward to this season. And the main reason that I wanted to go this route with my life is because before I moved out to California to join forces with Mark, uh, for some of you guys that don't know, Mark and I met in college. Uh, I was a freshman. Mark kind of took me under his wing uh, when he was a senior slash super senior slash super, super duper senior, whichever one I you want to think college. about. <laughs> you did love college for all the wrong reasons, but no, so it was great. But after I finished playing professionally indoor overseas, uh, I went back overseas or sorry, I went back to Virginia and I taught for four years. And uh, I realized that, to be honest, I wanted a bigger outreach than I was currently meeting. Really liked working with kids. I really liked creating relationships with the adults that I that I had met the area with beach volleyball, uh, teaching. I thought I was kind of limited into reaching anywhere from 130 to 150 kids per school year, uh, which which is amazing. I wouldn't take that back. And I have a lot of uh, respect. Uh, I mainly wanted to kind of just introduce myself to a world that I was very passionate about. I love the world of beach volleyball. I think it not only is it from a family that goes to a barbecue with 60 to the Olympics, <laughs> where you're seeing some of the ball that has ever been played uh, sport. So I think it's beautiful. And then the community itself is just is just amazing. So I wanted to hop on board with this and and try to see where we could go, where we could continue educating people, but also create our own community. We're well on our way. So I'm excited to be here. And I, I love I love what we're doing. 
It's great. Yeah. We've got an amazing community. I think, uh, I, I think the people that are finding us and appreciating us are the ones that have, have caught the bug. We, we have to create a few more things and options for people who are just those light users. You know, Maybe they play once or twice and, and they need something. But for those of you who are hooked, got the bug, ready to play, you found the right spot. Um, or, or if you're an adult that just is looking for a, a new challenge. You know, I think, I think that that's a, a big crew that we touch on too, is a lot of us, when we get out of high school or college, if you're lucky enough to go play in college, or even if you do intramurals or something along those lines where you keep staying with the sport and you, and you keep playing, it's great, but you, you kind of lose that little edge that you had in college in high school where it's like, Oh, I want to get better so I can make the team. Uh, there's no teams when you're an adult, but there are ways that you can continue to get better. It's there's ways that you can set goals for yourself and reach them monthly to a couple months down the road. And whenever you're getting better at something, it feels good, but you got to kind of figure out a way to get on that track. And if you're looking for that, we got you. Let's talk a little bit just before we get into sky balls. I'm talking about what's going on with the AVP schedule and the general sentiment among all of the players. Right now, everyone I talk to is frustrated. Frustrated that we don't have a schedule, that we don't have a plan. Now, uh, I, I know I did talk to uh, somebody, and I think we're getting word within the next couple weeks, but we don't have dates, we don't have cities. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen some kind of random leaks for cities uh, on different social media platforms but the fact that these are leaks and that none of the players really know it's it's a little bit frustrating and and we're supposed to plan our entire year in reverse you know you want to look at what events you want to be great for and then plan backwards because that's when you want to be fast you don't want to have any soreness and you want to build all of your strength and all of your speed up to that final event or sometimes it's a series of events which is the case with avp but even then with an avp season you still have a goal tournament you know like i always want to perform in new york in front of my home crowd like that's that's a tournament that i like to be fresh for and prepared and i think a lot of people definitely prepare for manhattan and hermosa mm -hmm. but we don't really have word on if these are happening so we're just kind of training at a point where we don't know what our timeline should be and that can be frustrating and so for any of you who are out there and you're training and you're practicing but you don't know you don't know what your timeline is my recommendation is to set your own goals it you don't have to judge it by anybody else anybody's season anybody's tournament just just set a little micro goal one or two months in advance and say, I'm either going to be lifting or I'm going to be this much faster or my passing is going to prove by this percent. But some goal setting has to happen. And you can't do what we all did during the last two years of COVID and just kind of wander, you know, mm -hmm. and lift whenever. Because if you don't aim for anything, you don't hit anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do and you I feel about that? Yeah, it's tough. I, obviously, we get a lot of questions about the the schedule when it's coming out, and I, I think a lot of people look at us because we put ourselves in the world of beach volleyball a lot, you know. And yeah. and, and and it feels good to get those questions, but it also just it worries me a little bit the fact that we don't know anything. 
whenever you talk to everybody, it doesn't matter if they're one of the top five seeds in the AVP or if they are best buddies with people on the staff. Uh, everyone kind of gives these, oh, I've heard this. I've heard this. And it, it's a little frustrating because it already is the new year. Um, and we also like we get a lot of questions about when we're running camps during the summer. You know, so it's it's very difficult for us. So for those of you guys that have been asking when we're running camps during the summer, during the spring, we would love to tell you that we would love to tell you. Yeah, we're trying to we're trying to figure out what what dates dates make sense to us because we are still competing. That's one of the best things about what Mark and I do is that we are we love educating the beach, the world of beach volleyball, but we still have our own goals individually of how we want to compete still. We're definitely focusing on it. Uh, when I, whenever I think about, I, we talked to Logan uh, two weeks ago when you when you were driving cross country. Um, and even to, somebody that comes to mind who I don't think people would normally think of this person as doing it, but Taylor Crabb, uh, the year COVID hit, um, it kind of looked like both of those guys just wanted to play as much volleyball as they could. And I think that's something that you can do right now. I, I fell victim of it last summer and the summer before of only training for AVP tournaments. Uh, and I think that we're kind of at the point where people need to rethink that planning. Uh, mm. I think you need to plan on uh, these other tournaments, the these these Wapakas, the seasides, the the ones that are notorious for being, yeah, Pottstown, the ones that are being notorious for being run for long periods of time because people don't mess with legacy too much. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for high level tournaments, I would say start there. Um, and what like one of my goals this year is I want to play in anywhere from 12 to 16 tournaments, uh, which is probably triple, if not double, of what I did last year or the year before. And to be honest, that goal doesn't matter. I'm not I'm not necessarily waiting on the AVP schedule because it sucks to say it like this, but I haven't been able to trust them that much in the last couple of years. Me specifically, mm -hmm. because I'm a I'm a mid-tier qualifier player where two years ago they were only accepting a certain amount of players based on mm -hmm. points. So I wasn't in that bracket. And then last year with the smaller schedule and bigger tournaments lining up on the same or big tournaments lining up on the same weekend that make a little bit more sense for me to go play. I've kind of looked at it a little different this year and I'm just taking the summer as my season or the late, maybe mid spring summer as my season. And and once, once I feel like I'm ready to go, I'm going to start playing tournaments and and then once the AVP schedule comes out, then I'll be able to kind of make my schedule a little bit more concrete. But I'm I'm kind of moving forward without without knowing. Yeah, and for for everybody out there who who gets upset because you don't know when those tournaments are, you 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 want to create some sort of schedule. This is just another lesson that you have to be the driver of you. You have to take a look at your dates. You have to take a look at your weeks. You have to take a look at the days in your week and say, when am I lifting? How does this lifting get me into my macro goal? And then just whether you have an AVP tournament or not, you bumping up your attacking percentage by 15%, 10%, that has nothing to do with whether an AVP tournament exists or not. You have to set those little goals and go ahead and reach them on your own timeline.
and stop comparing and stop waiting for everybody else to, to put it out in front of you. So it's frustrating, but you have to adapt. You have to overcome. And one of the things that we've been developing in the background is our beach volleyball. It might just turn into an all-around volleyball, a performance journal. And what we've included in this is a stat-keeping section, the most important stats for beach volleyball, and a very easy way to keep them. That's going to be included. Uh, a pre-practice goal setting where you're prompted with questions so that you know what you're working on for that practice. A post-practice how well you focused, how well you executed, a daily energy assessment that asks you what you ate, how long you slept, and where your energy levels were. So that at every moment, you can be keeping track of what you're doing and how it relates to your goals. And you can really see objectively how well you're doing. So this is something that I've been wanting to come out with for like three or four years because it, it also starts to track what you do against different teams. It creates leading questions and prompts to say, what's your game plan against these two people? What do you expect will happen from that game plan? Like, why are you serving their left side middle? Then it asks you at the end, why uh, did your game plan work? Did you get the expected results? Did you stick to the game plan? So this performance journal is still in the making. I'm very excited about it. But it asks all the questions of a player that a good coach would ask. What's your game plan? How are you going to execute it? What do you think is going to happen? And then afterwards, it assesses that so that you can grow as a player. So if any coaches or any players out there are looking to get this performance journal, I want to know if that excites you. If you want to be able to keep your own stats and track your goals, if you want to be able to know how you sleep and how you eat and what effect that plays on you because I'm very excited about this journal, but it might just because it comes from me and you know what I need to track and what I've been tracking through the years and the things that I haven't. So for everybody out there who is interested in that performance journal, I want you to just comment the crap out of this, <laughs> this podcast uh, on our YouTube channel. And if you want, shoot me uh, an email at support at betteratbeach.com and maybe we can see if we can give you a sneak peek um, or get you one of the very first copies. And I want to make these physical prints. We can make them e-prints, but I want to make them physical books so that people have something to carry to every training and every lifting session and then just fill out before they go to bed so that you can track yourself as an as a true athlete. So let's talk about it. Cool. Brandon, do you think a skyball is more of a gimmick or a weapon? I think it is completely based on when you decide to do it. For me, at my level, if I see somebody who's going to skyball, th there are not many people that I am extremely worried about at this point handling their skyballs. I haven't passed Adrian's in a couple years. It was the first one that I fell victim to. Uh, but even like some people that I, I think of when I think of good skyballs are obviously you. Uh, I think of Jeff Samuels. I think he has a pretty solid skyball. And that almost ends it a little bit. You know, there's not there's not a whole lot of people out there that worry me. Um, mm -hmm. And even if if I'm playing against you and it's not windy or the, for maybe the sun's not too bad or something like that, uh, then I'm not really worried when you get back there either. Sometimes. Obviously, you can still get me if you put enough spin on it, but 
Um, unless it's windy, I, I I think at the top level, it's a little bit too too gimmicky, and it's not too much of a threat. But if it's windy and you have the ability to put that ball up in the air for a while and create a lot of spin and get it moving, uh, then it's it, I, it, it can certainly be a weapon. I like it. Yeah. You want to hear my opinion? I do. Absolute weapon. Absolute weapon. I like the confidence. Absolute weapon. Yeah. It's something that people do not see, that it throws them off. When you think of some of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball, you do not always think of the people who throw the hardest. You know, Mm -hmm. when we talk about guys like old school, like Greg Maddox, I mean – maybe like 93 mile an hour fastball. He's not always bringing the heat, but the people who can locate, who can change rhythm and who can capitalize on that change of rhythm. Most people don't realize that when you go for a sky ball, you're not intentionally going for an ace. Right. That is quite normally not why you are attempting a sky ball. It's funny. You demoralize people and you get them really mad if you do ace them, which already you're at an advantage if you can affect their emotion just because you hit a, a ball really high boom you've already got that psychological advantage coming in because now you've altered something in that person's play and the thing about it is that most people they get tentative if you're going to go for a sky ball you got to go for it period you it can't be half-assed it can't just be this like without a stretch wind up you have to throw your arm back full-on stretch and chuck it up there because if you go half halfway on a sky ball that's a free ball Mm -hmm. right but even when you throw that underhand free ball to somebody something changes in an inexperienced player's rhythm They sit there, they say, oh, it's an easy free ball, it's a joke. And instead of queuing in to everything that they normally do well when they're passing, they somehow relax, they change, they don't, because they're seeing something different or a different flight, what happens is they then don't do the rest of their footwork, the rest of their normal offensive rhythm. And as soon as you can throw somebody's offensive rhythm just a little bit, that is your advantage. I remember talking to Sta- uh, Stafford Slick and Casey Patterson. They talked about a wrinkle, you know, throwing something just slightly different into that other team's offense so that you can take advantage of when they change or need to change just a little bit. So if, if you can't get points, right, you absolutely just, you're struggling, they're siding out, why wouldn't you throw something completely different? Yeah, I I think when I was talking and I was creating like the pros cons list in my mind, the one thing that I had written in the cons list of it being being a threat was that it does mess up the rhythm of the play. You know, people get into this such such a you can almost count it. Serve, two, three, pass, two, three, set, two, three, hit two, three, you know, and, mm. and that is a rhythm that we start to just bank on every single time. So if somebody throws up that really high ball or it's just a different speed where maybe it's making them wait a second longer or something like that, then that does do the job. It, it really is crazy how many times, especially if somebody hits an easy serve at you 
and you take that, if your mind gives you that option of saying, oh, this is an easy play. You're done. You've already lost. You know, <laughs> you've already you haven't gotten your feet there early enough. You haven't gotten your plat gotten your platform out early enough. So, I think you are right in that sense uh, as far as messing up the timing because we do we we fall victim to it. Everybody does. It, there's a reason that it says, "Oh, they're getting into a rhythm," you know. And with that sky ball, that is something that you could throw off the rhythm especially and sometimes it doesn't have to be you're not trying to even score you're just trying to get them out of that rhythm and to realize because then maybe next maybe the next time you serve them normal now they've they have to refine that rhythm that they had kind of established before so i think i think that's a really really good point my big thing that and i'm gonna kind of i'm gonna talk to you i'm gonna okay. i'm gonna kind of interview you here for a second because you you have the good sky ball and i'm the person that <clears throat> I can hit it okay, but I'm pretty inconsistent. So, mm -hmm. do you have any like styles or anything like that that you find work better for you that will allow you to get the ball higher? Are you worried about that at all? Are you do you aim for a specific spot to be consistent? Because a lot you of know, us we miss if we're not good at them, we miss it a lot. The thing about it is, if you want to develop a sky ball, you can't do it once. Mm -hmm. You got to throw in your hours and your thousands of reps just like any other skill. So if you want to break it out because it's a weapon, because you want to treat it as a weapon, you have to practice it, right? This, this might not be in the arsenal of necessary things that you practice, but if you want to have it, not every pitcher has a knuckleball, right? No, uh, they don't. They have, they have other things that work well for them. So if you can practice it instead of just saying, oh, crap, there's nothing else to do. So I might as well just do this funny thing or I've given up or there's no other answer. That's not when you should throw down that sky ball. So for me, when I really started developing my sky ball was the season I played in Australia because there was always wind that came uh it was blowing either at the net or away from the net it was never blowing sideways at the beach that i was playing at and i was so tired of giving these soft easy float serves from the bad side because here's what people don't understand about serving that they absolutely have to you need to get the pass out of the passer's sweet spot. You need to serve so that it does not cross them every single time between their shins and their shoulders. If you just put your arms out to your side, right, and your your, your hands are out to your side like a T, and then you look down at your shins, something like 90% of balls are going to pass you there in serve-receive. That's your sweet spot where you don't have to move forward, you don't have to move backwards. And so many players ignore the idea of serving over that fence that you created with your, your arms teed or in front of you so that you have to move up and then that changes all of your spacing offensively. Even if it's an easier pass, it requires extra footwork, extra movement to get you back to that different distance. And again, it's changing the rhythm. It's forcing the passer and the attacker to get into a different rhythm. So if you can serve over that tee or in front of it, that is a different type of serve. Every time I say serve deep to a new player that I'm coaching, right? They just serve flat and deep, and it crosses somebody in their chest where they don't have to move. And I'm like, that ball was going to land in the deep part of the court, but that's not a deep serve. That's a serve 
that the passer just has to sit still and pass. So all of these, all of this comes back to say that I we got tired of giving people really easy, easy serves from the bad side. Because when you serve with the wind, the ball doesn't float as much. You can't hit it as hard. And, you know, you have less overpasses because that, that player is protected by the wind. They can pass tight and the ball will be blown back. So I started pushing players back, but I didn't think that was enough. So then I just said, all right, you know what? Every time I'm on the bad side, I'm going to sky ball. And that's when I started devoting myself to a float sky instead of a, a spin sky. Almost a Kurt Topple. Yeah, a little, a little Kurt Topple, um, I think. Somebody's got to correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe Sinjin did it um, when they had the, the clock, uh, mm-hmm. when they were playing with the time clock in the AVP, and they just slapped it up without any of the spin that like Adrian uses or I or Jeff uses anymore. But to be able to push them back and change that rhythm so drastically and make them move around the court instead of giving them something that crosses their sweet spot, that holds so much value. So I started doing it then, but I was doing it every single day. I mean, I was practicing four or five hours a day in Australia and Mm -hmm. I got so comfortable feeling how fast the wind was, how high I could put it and it still go in, but it wasn't on accident. I said, this is what I'm going to be doing from the bad side so that I can have something different that players don't see. And it's not designed, again, it's not designed to be an ace. It's designed to be a wrinkle in the offensive rhythm. So that's when it started. But then now I serve heavily with spin into the wind. If there's Mm -hmm. wind blowing from one side of the court, I have a forehand sky ball, I have a backhand sky ball, and I really like to make that thing move. So when you say uh, forehand or Mm. backhand, can you just explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So there's a sky ball where if you, if you put your hand in a, in front of you in a karate chop position, like you're karate chopping the table in front of you, that ball will go off of the back of your hand if you're looking at it. So that means that if that ball's in front of me, I'm going to hit this ball barely on the left side of the ball, coming up under it and hitting the left side of the ball. That's going to make the ball go to my right or the back of my hand. So that's one way, and that's the way that most people see people skyball. But I also, I don't, I don't know if it was a, from like a tennis background because I played tennis as a kid, so I got comfortable with that forehand swing. If I put my hand in that karate chop position again, I also have a serve where I hit the right side of the ball, and so the ball goes to my left. So when I'm at the service line, I face sideways. I don't face the court. I face sideways, and I can either hit a backhand ball or a forehand ball. And if I want to hit that spin so the top of the ball is going into the wind, and that's going to make it cut back into the court. So I judge whether I should go for a sky ball uh, with my forehand or my backhand by what side the wind is on. And that plays a lot. And I think I can hit both equally as high. I'm as comfortable on both sides because I practice both sides equally. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there is a little bit more spin, maybe, with my backhand. That's cool. So you have your hand completely open. Cause I've also seen some people that almost go with like a, uh, we call it the remote control dig, you know, when we're talking about underhand defense. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of people who look like they're using a remote control. If you guys can visualize that at home, but, uh, that, do you think there's a benefit between having that little platform? Cause when you make the 
the remote control, you have a little bit of a space where you can hit that ball, but I'm not sure about consistency wise. Yeah. You know, so like at the end of your whip, if you can hold your hand solid enough, but it can still be fast, Mm -hmm. the solidity of your hand is going to make that ball pop. But if you just lower it and you hit the ball just a little bit more on your wrist than your actual hand, that ball will start hitting your bones, the solid bones, instead of having the, the bounce from your hand and that might make the impact and the height of the ball go a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. So I hit it kind of somewhere between, uh, my thumb joint and my wrist joint. And that gives me a lot of height, uh, while, while still having spin. I like it. I think, but I think people get upset when they, they serve a sky ball and somebody passes it, they spike it, they set it, they spike it. And then all the fans are like, Oh, that was stupid. It didn't work. This is, (laughs) Volleyball is played over a long strategy. It is not one individual point at a time. And even though we play these two sets of 20, that's why we play best of three sets. Because this game can swing. And the better players will always come out over time because they have better strategies and more consistencies. But like, I'm not going to say anyone, but anyone can take a, you know, a set from Nick and Phil. But over time... Mm-hmm. they're going to win because they're more consistent. They're getting it there. And that's the proof that this is a long-time, long-term strategy game and that we're, we're scoring it correctly. If you play one set to 21, like you're playing in those local tournaments where you have one set to 21 as the deciding factor, one set to 28, that's really tough for those players because that, that usually happens when it's the important time. It's like, well... We need to reward everybody for signing up for the for the tournament by getting everybody the maximum amount of playing time. But then the better players get kind of cheated out of real volleyball because they're playing this shorter time window. You know, and, and they don't get to put their strategy and their long term play on display. You know, it reminds me a lot of the Buffalo Bills Kansas City game last night. You know, I'm I'm a pretty big Bills fan and Went to overtime, phenomenal game, and it came down to a freaking coin toss, you know, and I'll, uh, I'll move on, but hey, I get it. It's frustrating. <laughs> I, you know, as um, far as football goes, like, I think that's, that's pretty garbage as well to, yeah. to leave it to a coin toss with no rebuttal. I know you got to save time. I know you got to, you want to put an end to it, but mm-hmm. at least hockey's got a, a shootout, right? You know? Where everybody yeah. has that chance to come back. Say so you, you put two it. people on each, the, a team on one side of the hash, another team on the other side of the hash, best running back versus best defender. Let them go. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. No, I, 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 I like that. It, and it's realizing that it, it is setting you up for something that you're going to do in the future. And, you know, it, and kind of going back to this idea that we had about rhythm, it's almost better if you serve that sky ball and it feels easy for them. Mm-hmm. If the first one feels easy, yes, it might give them a little bit of confidence, but for your goal, it's hoping that they, it gets them out of a rhythm. So if they feel like the first one's easy and then you get a hold of the next one, maybe that's the one you're going to score on. So it's yeah. so hard to, to explain that to people, to explain that when, when you get served, if anything about the way you approach that ball mentally 
or some part of your technique changes because of how you're served, that you're at a disadvantage, you mm-hmm. know, that you don't quite cue in. Or when people get a free ball in the middle of a crazy rally and they go, and they like exhale and they kind of almost melt into the pass. That is a change in your best technique. And as soon as you allow that to happen, as soon as you turn off that sense of importance and urgency with every touch, you're doomed. Mm -hmm. You have to stay in the fight. Like this is Muhammad Ali. He was the one who introduced this to the world with the rope-a-dope. Mm-hmm. Right, he just was getting knocked out and then getting hit and getting hit and getting hit, and then the other guy got super, super confident and pretty much exhausted himself. Uh, it's a little bit different in boxing because you're not going to exhaust somebody in a beach volleyball court, but having that that confidence go into them when all right, it's an easy free ball. Now something sloppy happens, but you're cued in mentally. That is what's going to win and lose tournaments. Those little moments uh, that sometimes are referred to as like a lack of focus. Mm-hmm. If you lose that focus for that instant, for all of you players out there who are training and you think, ah, this is easy, you need to stop that immediately. Mm-hmm. You need to train yourself to be a warrior and be in every moment knowing that somebody is coming after you and you cannot fall asleep for one point. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about when, especially we work with a lot of adults. So adults have already reached a level of athleticism that is it's pretty normal for like an adult to find how athletic they are by the time they're 25 moving on to 30 obviously there are ways to become more athletic there are things you can do to help yourself out but i think adults we tend to rely more on touch than we do technique and that's it that's if you've never been coached if you're if you're oh. teaching yourself if we we rely on our athleticism and our touch and what i mean by touch is instead of having a really solid base when you're passing and and creating an angle with your platform you're you're allowing your feet to not be in the correct spot and you're just kind of swinging your arms and getting it to go to the correct area yes when the pass goes to the right spot it's a great feeling it looks good it, it feels good but I've kind of I've had the same conversation with a lot of adults because we're really good at using touch when we're not tired. But when we start getting tired throughout a match, that's when our touch starts to go away a little bit because it requires our athleticism. And as we start to get tired, our athleticism goes down a little bit, whether it's jumping higher, whether, whether it's moving faster, whatever it is, it, it definitely goes down. But technique is something that you can hold on to for an entire match if you train yourself to do it. Mm. And that's more of a mental battle. And for me specifically, I've realized that if I can create if I can maintain my my technique throughout a match, my athleticism will follow. The adrenaline will start pumping after I make a really good pass. But if I start relying on touch or kind of bringing it full circle with what you've been talking about with the sky ball and any serving, is that if I start off a match being like, okay, whatever, I don't care how I do it. I just need to get this pass to the target or the setter spot on the court. Yes, I'm going to start off the game passing just as well as I normally do. But mm-hmm. once I start to get tired, I'm going to forget a, a step. I'm going to forget to lock my, my core in. I'm going to forget to get my platform out early. 
Uh, and if we continue to rely on that touch or that athleticism instead of technique, then that's what sets you up for those, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just shanked the easiest serve of the game. Yep. We've all been there. You can't tell me you haven't. It's it really point the way that with a the way that you're able to keep just by keeping the the bit longer is that is the point a threat other than a gimmick. <laughs> but when it becomes a but time after time after time. And I mean you can it can be a gimmick, you know? Fans yeah. do love it. People love it. And I think they love it because to do something different that everybody else does that seems like it should be out of control. But if you've got experience, mm -hmm. it's not out of it's not out of control. You you can pop that thing super high and you can put it in eight, nine times out of ten if you've got the practice to do it. But it's it's crazy and it's wild if you've never tried it before and, and then you do it like when you see <laughs> Phil skyball on match point on stadium court, it's like we know <laughs> that you've done this like seven times, you know. <laughs> right. So it's not crazy. Uh, goofy foot approach jump serve right to the sideline at seventy miles per hour. <laughs> I think that ways with the sky ball is I think it does appeal to the fans. And yeah. if you can get the fans on your side, if you win the crowd, you win your freedom. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's a good statement. I forget when we were there, we had you skyballing, skyballing. It, it was just a single time you guys went back to serve. Not only was it, which obviously now the crowd's on your side, but you hit it. And if it goes in, great. If it, they're like, all right, he was a point just to make us happy. So now you go up and hit every time you get a block. They're going to be like, that's a guy who skyballed for us. <laughs> and now you, now you got yeah. a bunch I, of people rooting for you. And you you do get the extra high fives. You know, it, sometimes it depends. Like, mm -hmm. are you out there for fun? Are you out there for the win? Or do you play better when there are fans watching? Now, you don't want to rely on attendance at your matches to perform. But if you want to get people coming and watching your match, you throw up a couple early sky balls and mm -hmm. people will just look from across the beach and be like, what the hell is going on over there? And uh, you'll get a nice crowd. And it's, it's, we can't lie. It's fun to play in front of a crowd. It, it's fun to see them ooh and ah and get those little tingles from seeing something cool. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I don't think I've ever done it in a in a tournament. I maybe that, but I've been lucky enough. It's so liberating with uh, who Jake your skyball as well. And something goes back to what you're saying about confident. You know, let it go. If you're gonna go for a skyball, let it go. And that's yeah, somewhat of a joking way. But I'll if we get one skyball, I'll usually look at either you or Jake. Hey, if it doesn't count. <laughs> just to really try to get you guys to win, wine best, have fun with it. So uh, I've definitely seen the confidence yeah. pay off, which is it's half the battle. And if if you could if you could bring that to other players as well, um, I remember like rooting for our buddy Shane Donahue, and he plays really well when he's confident and when he's stomping around the court. And I don't know if it's appropriate for the podcast here, but you know, I like he was kind of tied, even neck and neck, but he was a little bit quiet. And I said, Shane, whip it out and show what you're working with. And <laughs> he like looked up, and like this fire came into his eyes. You know, he was just like, "You're right." You know, so he stomped back, and like his pace changed, and he just went it's back time. and hammered a couple of jump serves. And yeah. he came to me after the match. He's like, "If you didn't wake me up at that moment." to say at some point yes strategy pays off long long term but at some point it's who is willing to go for it mm -hmm. that's going to win it's who's just willing to 
out aggressive the other team and truly put it on the line that's the person that that's going to win when everything's all tied up neck and neck you can either choose to wait it out and play that strategy game or you could say you know i'm going full force right now and nothing's stopping me and more people need to learn how to embrace it. i think young players have that a lot mm-hmm. but they have that when they don't have anything else right you know players don't have that strategy they don't know what another player is going to do when they serve x where you know, they don't know how to think three or four points in advance. So young players, young guys will go out and from zero, zero, they'll just start hammering serves really. Cause that's the only thing they have, but if you they know they're not going to get tired. Yeah. And if you can combine that with a level of, of intelligence and strategy, and then, so you know how to fight and then you know how to turn it on mm-hmm. when, it, when it's crunch time, that's, uh, that's going to make champions. So for everybody like out there who's like in that tied situation, go for it. You're not going to mm-hmm. regret going for it. You will regret like a 50% serve that you missed. And then you'll think, why didn't I go for it? Like, why, mm-hmm. why didn't I just put it in? It's, it's more glorious for sure uh, to win when you know that you let loose, that you went after it. And it feels good to win, on a, you know, kind of going soft where like you don't have full confidence. But whatever you choose go for it full throttle at that moment. And if you lose, Hey, you went for it. And would you go for it again? Yeah. Cause that's your best option. You knew that that was your best option at that moment. Mm-hmm. So we want to give players confidence out there to go for it when it gets tight. Yeah. And that, and that doesn't just for the sake of this podcast, since it is all about skyball, it's supposed to be about skyballs. That isn't only related to skyballs. We're not saying yeah. it's a game points on the line. Not a go just about being aggressive. It could be, a it could be a top surf. It can be with, but allowing a little bit of pressure. And to be honest, that's what you remember. You know, I, I still remember the first year that I moved, I started playing what a semi pro pro and beach. And I went down to Wilmington and in the finals, two sets, won the first set, second set down 17, 19, I think it was. And I went back to serve four aces in a row to win 21, 19. And it's, it wasn't the biggest tournament in the world. It, it was just a local tournament at Captain Bill's, which I absolutely loved, but the fact that I'd, I kind of went back to the line and I was like, you know what? It's time to just go for it and see what happens. And it paid off. And it's still one of probably my top five volleyball memories that I have. And it was just in a local tournament that I played in. So yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. There's one thing that I will say about Skyballs um, to just sort of tie this in some kind of bun. It's not to get people to stare into the sun. Right. It's it's really not. And people should stop thinking about that. Like, oh, well, you have to look straight up into the sun. For you to get the angleage exactly correct so that the person who you're trying to serve is looking directly so that the ball is, is in front of their eyes in the sun, that doesn't make sense. It's not what happens. It might be a bonus if that lineup magically happens. But that's that's not why people are serving skyballs it's because it's coming down it's moving fast the higher you hit it up the harder and faster it comes down and it's at a different angle with a different spin and a different trajectory than everything else that that person has passed so it's trying to knock people out of their rhythm by showing them a ball that they have not seen maybe ever 
or definitely infrequently. So yeah. um, let's let's get out of the sky balls and get into the sun type deal. Yeah, the sun's not that big. Uh, one of the and, things out there, but it's not that big. Yeah, and for our thousands of listeners, um, I'm going to just share a quick little tip that was taught to me when I was, I think I was just starting to play, but it was from Hudson and Hudson Bates, Hudson so Bates, head coach at a, at Ohio State University yeah, at, o- at Ohio State. Yeah, Smart good, but long time. But he told me if you if you're a pastor that has trouble with sky balls, most likely the reason you're having trouble is when you pass it, you're probably feeling that ball hit your fingers a lot or your thumbs. Uh, if you find yourself having that problem, then it has to do with where you're tracking the ball to. And Hudson gave me a good cue is to imagine that you're lining up the sky ball to pass it on your shoulders. You should be able to find your platform a little bit easier. So that's my, my tip of the day. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and if you guys want to try some sky balls, we do have a video on YouTube. Just go ahead and search uh, Skyball better at beach. It should show up. Um, and if it doesn't check like two or three pages in and make sure you click on ours. So the algorithm works in our favor, but we, we do have a video on how to Skyball. So go ahead and you can look at that for some advice. And I show you the float sky and we show you the forehand and the backhand, but you know, go for it, have some fun with it. The sport is fun. It should be. And this can be a weapon for you. And a nice little option to throw a little a little kink into uh, into the other player's offense. So, go for a sky ball. We need to see some more creative things happening in beach volleyball. The last five years have been incredible for creativity in terms of blocking schemes, defensive schemes, jump setting, option offense. And um, Adrian coming onto the world tour was huge for getting the conversation started of what is this sky ball Mm -hmm. and uh i think people can can really appreciate a a player like his creativity and originality and the sport welcomes that and if you're a coach out there and you know that you have a creative player give them opportunities to explore that get them disciplined into certain techniques but maybe not necessarily always the same style. See if you can allow them some time during practice to, to have fun, to make silly, crazy plays. See what they can do. See if they want to throw it into a game. The, the sport should be fun, and if you create the discipline first and you give them the principles, then they can operate around that, and that's where the sport progresses and we get some, some evolution of the game. Yeah, and it's just fun to watch. It really is. Yeah. This makes it more fun to watch. Yeah. You ready for some questions? Are we good? Uh, let's just give a couple announcements for okay. camps. Uh, so, guys, right now, of course, uh, you can sign up for any one of our courses. We have passing course. We have a setting course. We have an attacking, an arm swing course. All of these are recorded courses that you can take on betteratbeach.com. Just go to betteratbeach.com forward slash store. If you want a sick shirt just like this, go to betteratbeach.com forward slash shop and check out some of our swag. We have a camp coming up April 3rd to 10th in Florida. We are planning on more camps. The sooner you get on your email, on our email list, the better it is for you. And you can get on our email list just by going to betterbeach.com. And what happens when you get onto our email list, we send you a free drill book. It's got 36 essential drills for beach volleyball right off the bat. And then we send you a free lesson every week. 
Every week, uh, we send you a free volleyball video lesson article, something that you can really use to get better. And so that you know that it's a constant reminder of things uh, coming there. So if you want to take part in a camp, the April one is sold out. But we might have some extra room if you're on our waiting list. It's just we have to hire coaches in accordance with how many players we have. So if we don't have the number of players who are willing to commit, then we're not going to hire another coach to come out or train another coach, which is even more important. And clinics. We have a number of clinics coming up. Uh, We have one coming up in Santa Monica. We have one coming up in Ozark. Uh, We will be in New York in uh, March or April. Salt Lake City will be in San Francisco this weekend. And if you want us to come to you and run a clinic for your facility, your team, a group of friends, all we need is a minimum 12 players committed for a full day, which is three two and a half hour sessions, and it's 225 for the day per player. So if you can get 12 players to commit for seven and a half hours of training in one day, we can get at least one coach there and then we can build upon that. And that means that, yeah, if you have a court in your backyard and you've got 12 players who want to get a full hardcore day of training in, give us a call uh, or email at support at betteratbeach.com or you could fill out the form on betteratbeach.com forward slash clinics. And what's really people have been snapping up lately is our uh, 50 plus practice plans for beach volleyball. So if you guys head to betteratbeach.com forward slash practice plans, a lot of people have been enjoying our full two hour laid out practice plans. A lot of them have videos of the drills so that you don't have to translate it from the written version. You actually just see what the video looks like. You can show it to your players, show it to your buddies and say, let's do this one. And it's not just drills, but it's minute to minute practice plans. So we have all of that. And if you don't want any of that, just keep listening to our free podcast and checking out our YouTube channel and checking out our Instagram. And we will keep on providing some beach volleyball knowledge. I like it. Yeah, it's good. Ready for some questions? There's a person named Phil Williams who is watching who commented and said, if y'all do a camp here on the Emerald Coast the week before or after FUDs, it's a sellout. Uh, Phil, if you have a connection to somebody that is in charge of FUDs, I have tried to email them a couple times. I have tried texting. I have tried Facebook messaging. We would love to come to FUDs, uh, whether we run a weekend camp bef- the week before or if we want to kind of roll it into the first couple of days. I know there's not a lot of tournament or not tournaments on the first, I think, Monday and Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we would absolutely love to come there. Mark and I plan on playing again this year. So, yeah, if you have Phil, if you have anybody that I could reach out to directly or if you happen to be in charge of something that I could set up with you, uh, that would be great. Uh, you can just email me at Brandon at better at beach.com. Nice. Um, not sure if you're still on Phil, but maybe I can reach out to you somehow. Yeah. Uh, somebody wants us to do Southern Ohio again. We will be in grand sands, <laughs> uh, I believe in March. So if you head to better forward slash clinics, you could probably see our grand sands clinic will be up there. Um, so we are coming to Cincinnati, AKA Loveland, Ohio. Uh, all right. Questions. Okay. When are you coming to Europe? I kind of want to go uh, for St. Patrick's Day to Dublin. 
if, I mean, that yeah. wouldn't be a volleyball trip necessarily, but it would be cool to get a, a facility or, or a beach somewhere in Ireland and just say some, some hi to some volleyball bros. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think with Europe, we plan on taking this thing worldwide <laughs> when traveling and getting people to different continents is not a headache where you get frustrated trying to figure out what you can and cannot do. So yeah. uh, once the world starts to open back up a little bit more and people are allowed to travel a little bit freer, uh, we, we plan on on doing that gotta come to scandinavia i mean we were there yeah we both played pro in sweden i played pro in norway yeah yes i spent a little bit of time in finland we'll come back i I would love to come back i still i uh one of our buddies kyle friend had a birthday last week and got tagged in our team team photo from that year and it just brought back a lot of really good memories so i would love to come back to stockholm or or anywhere in Sweden and run Oslo something. Was that would be amazing. Shout out to Oslo Volley. Shout out to Vingwalkers Volleyball Club in Sweden. Tierp. Oh, man. Yeah. Good times. Good times oh, playing Amazing. Indoor. Yeah. All right. I think, uh, cool. I think that's it, guys. Cool. So, uh, thank you guys for stopping in. If you guys have any questions, DM us. Uh, send an email to support at better at beach.com. Comment, uh, join our Facebook group, Volley Chat, Get Better at Beach Volleyball. And just, you know, hop in the conversation. And if you ever want to come to a camp clinic, do an online course, or be a part of our uh, online coaching program where we can coach you through your entire season and every skill and every match and every practice, then you can find all of that right on our website, betterbeach.com. Aside from that, you and me have practice in one hour, Brandon. Let's do it. I'll see you out there. Standing game all day. Let's go. My legs are already shot from our workout this morning. So just in case you guys wanted to know how much Mark and I hang out, we've already (laughs) worked out this morning. Now we get to hang out on the podcast. Now we're going to go practice. So, If we don't get sick of each other or volleyball, then neither will you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, have a great day. Thanks for joining. And we will see you next time. We're back Wednesday. All right. See you guys.